going. So today we have Andrew Fawcett. Andrew's joining us live from Columbus, Ohio. All right. So you are a PT. Correct. Yep. You're more than a PT. You guys are, you almost embody everything that a PT and a trainer and an exercise scientist and all those things should encompass. So yeah, well, we, we in- love to say that we blend the line between fitness and rehab. That's just for reference, I don't want to talk about me too much, but no, yeah, we, that's we, why you're here. Okay. We say that we blend the line between fitness and rehab. That's where our clinic starts and ends. So any person, no matter their fitness level or age, they, they have a history of orthopedic problems or a current orthopedic problem, or they, they have fitness goals, whether it's to, to handle grandkids better or to hike, hike a, a mountain. We exercise people in our clinic for fitness at the same time as we take care of or protect their orthopedic needs. So we blend physical therapy and orthopedics and exercise physiology all in one place. It sounds really common sense, especially the way that you say it. It's just so matter of fact, but I don't think that happens very often. And the more that I practice, I've been doing this over 20 years now, there are people that get lost in that shuffle. Either they're going to PT for something that's post-surgical or they're in chronic pain, or they're seeing a trainer to get fit or healthy, but there's that whole piece in the middle that people need to be, I think, handled more carefully. There's so many times that we see people who re-injure themselves in the gym because they're starting too fast or whatever. How many people are in your the clinic right now or in the facility? As far as staff members, about 10. And they range in, in different backgrounds from our part-time, we call them exercise specialists, but they're basically a trainer. We have some part-time graduate students from the Ohio State Physical Therapy Program as well as some exercise physiology students from the local colleges. So we really like to rely on that academic background. And then our clinical team is made up of physical therapists and licensed athletic trainers who all have similar certifications and and experience with FSM and some manual therapy techniques. But we really try and build almost a paradigm shift. That's what you mentioned a little bit. There's a chasm between do 10 reps with this really easy TheraBand and PT and okay, let's do CrossFit. And there's sometimes not a lot in between for people, especially when the medical community, we always tell people pain is the end of dysfunction. So just because you're not in pain doesn't mean there's not deficits, major deficits to be had. We love dental analogies. People tend to understand them. So we explain to them, you can have literally a hole in your tooth, bacteria is eating away at this very hard substance and you have no pain. It's only when you have pain that you go to the dentist, then you would need a root canal. So we try and catch people when they're in the cavity stage. We look at their whole body with an orthopedic evaluation. It's usually about 90 minutes. And we pick out deficits that haven't caused an injury yet, but are really putting them down the path that if we don't respect it or even sometimes rehab it before it's injured, is just an injury waiting to happen. I love that. That's great. You're right. People do understand dental analogy. You start mm-hmm. scaring them with words like root canal. They're like, okay, fine. I'll listen to you. But, and I was going to ask you for your favorite quote, but I'm going to steal what you just said. What did you, how did you say it? Pain is the end of dysfunction. Yes. It's once the thing's already been injured, that pain occurs. We can catch it all the way back here, but we need in dentistry, you go in, they do an x-ray. So we need that x-ray vision, which is based on whatever the listener's background is. And if they don't have a background in orthopedics, there's potentially people to pair with, or there's training to be had in massage therapy or licensed athletic training, which, which in Ohio is a medical licensed profession yeah. or physical therapy. Sure. When I was going through my list and we knew Carol wasn't going to be here for the month and I was figuring out who I wanted to talk to. And we have so many listeners ranging from patients to practitioners 
And you've been doing FSM for a while within that FSM practitioner rainbow that we have. We have surgeons and medical doctors and acupuncturists and veterinarians. And so I try to throw this month as many different things to feed everybody's interest because Carol can just talk about everything. So Carol, just sure. she's like, I don't know anybody like her that could cover all these different things. So we had functional medicine on, we had David Burke, we had Ben Catholi. And then I'm like, hey, I have to feed the PTs in the audience. Wonderful. Right away, I thought about you guys. I was trying to think when I met you and Jerry, and it must have been at an advanced. And it was it, actually at your very first sports. Episode. Was it at the very first? So I was yeah. going to say it was either at the advance, but then you guys always have that group is so special because the very, very first FSM sports course, you were there. And I was so nervous doing this course because Carol was there kind of auditing the course and to see how it was going. It's like, Luke and Yoda trying to duel it out. It was really nerve wracking. And then Jerry was there being the heckler in the audience. It was great. And he he challenged me to make the course better. And I always think about him when I'm changing the course. Jerry's no longer with us. And now we have a Jerry Greenspan scholarship. Every year I give a free sports course out to a deserving PT that is keen and green, just like Jerry was. So we have that and you guys to thank for all of that stuff. So I had to put that little blurb out there. So talk to me about your FSM trajectory. How did you get involved with FSM kind of stuff? Our clinic, and like you mentioned, the founder of our clinic, we've been open about 25 years, potentially 30, depending on if you count when he started in his garage or not. But one thing that that the founder was an innovator, a visionary, almost too much. We, We tripped over his innovation at times. Um, and I'm not that person. I'm more of an integrator. I kind of traction things to the ground, make them work better versus always finding something new. And that's why he used to tease me. He pulled me out to uh, Scottsdale in August or Phoenix in August to yeah. your course. And it was 110 degrees, but he wanted to be at the first one. He was always looking for the first thing. So we adopted laser, class four laser therapy in 2000 and probably 12. I was still in physical therapy school at the time. He actually asked me, I was working for him as a part-time trainer, like our part-time trainers do now. And PT school at the time had told me laser doesn't work, but he went to the vet office and took his dog and the vet lasered his dog. And when he went home, the dog could walk up the stairs better. Jerry was an engineer as well as a clinician, a physical therapist. So to him, there's no placebo effect in animals. If it helped the dog, then it works on people. But when we brought that modality in, there, there are settings on it to treat discs and nerves. And in our experience, I hope I'm not stepping on anybody else's toes, but it really made people worse. I think the blood flow, the heat, their discs and nerves didn't like it. So at the time he had been getting maybe once a year or twice a year, a really beautiful fit cardstock flyer from Carolyn, actually, and about FSM. And he said after several iterations of this flyer, again, his business mindset was moving forward. And he said, this must be expensive to send. If they keep sending it, people must be going to this course and it must actually do something. So really it, the search was to find something that could help disc herniation and nerves. And that started our trajectory right there was, wow, this can do something for us that our manual therapy technique wasn't as good at. Our first stint into sort of the cutting edge modality world couldn't help us with. And we just took a springboard from there. That's so cool. I love the mindset of Jerry, all these cardstock flyers. I could just see him thinking about it like that. 
So when you went to your first course, you were already a believer or you were open-minded enough to attend? Not at all, actually. I hear I am in this doctorate program at a university that tells me we're the best of the best, which is not true. It's a good university, but they send you out in the world thinking you're God's gift to therapy and don't even know anything yet. And I had told him, they told me laser doesn't work. And he bought it anyways and started using it on people I wasn't treating yet. But a year and a half later, when I graduated and came out as a therapist, and I had seen the patients come into our clinic and walk out with tendinopathies and those kind of things. And they really did work. So I knew, okay, maybe he sees some things that I don't. But when he told me about FSM, I thought, you, you can't feel it? Really? And I'm like, frequencies? So the only reason I went was because I trusted him greatly. But we, uh, another funny story, we drove to Chicago for our first core. And I think there was about eight people in the course that time carolyn was teaching we showed up late that first night because we drove from columbus it was like six hours and we brought four of the people so we showed up and there was only four other people in this course and just on the hall in this hotel center was a pain management conference with 250 docs and again i thought to myself truly i'm like there's eight of us my company brought four down the hall there's 250 people this can't work but as we sat there through the weekend you could feel the tissue soften and that i couldn't remedy at all. You could feel the tissue soften, bringing it back to the clinic. We started using it on acute injuries and on those nerve disorders, we'll just say the full spectrum. And that was pretty clear, pretty quick that this does something because the patient doesn't feel anything. They're not, we charge, depending on how many they buy, about 50 to $60 a session on top of our manual therapy. So some of our sessions can be quite expensive they're not interested in paying for things that don't make them better right away in our clinic. And that was there even before we knew what we were doing. So I was not actually thinking that it was going to work. I respected the person that brought me there greatly, but I also saw it work quickly. And that really changed my mind. I think that's a really common introduction to FSM, especially from the physical medicine folks, because depending on what school and background you came from, you were brainwashed in college into thinking your hands are the only thing that are going to help or only these machines that have the peer-reviewed triple-blinded study. And as we know, manual therapy of any sort is very hard to get a blinded study on. It's really hard to do that. So I love now that I've been teaching to get the skeptics and we're getting less and less skeptics coming to the course. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have some sort of open mind to take time off of work, travel, pay for a course and attend, but you're right. You can't deny when you feel the tissue soften. And for me, that was exactly the same thing. I didn't believe in these devices. I thought people were getting swindled. You can't sit and you can't feel it. What the heck? It's supposed to help you recover. Sure. But when you are a manual therapist and you feel something soften that shouldn't soften so quickly without destroying the tissue. You really can't go back from that. And I love Jerry's whole placebo effect in animals. Since I've started practicing, I'm working on a lot more horses than I ever thought. And you can't deny when their head starts to drop, when they're pawing at the ground because they want to roll over and go to sleep. (laughs) You're right. There's no placebo effect there. So you talked about how you started using FSM in most of those acute conditions and with nerve injuries. Tell me, do you write your own programs? Are you using the mode bank? How many machines do you typically use on a patient? What are you doing these days? Yeah, we're a really busy clinic and not because we ask our staff to do that. It's just people find us for the collection that we offer, FSM, our manual techniques, our our blending the line between fitness and rehab, all of it. We're very unique in the area. So they find us and drive. We're very busy. 
Because of that, we typically always multitask when we're treating, as I'm sure many do. We probably have three precision cares and we probably have 12 custom cares. We have five practitioners right now. We had six, but we just went down to five. So we're usually using between one precision care and one to two custom cares at a time with people generally. We don't oftentimes stop and wait to feel the tissue change just because we're, we're doing so much. We write most of our programs but saying that they've been written for some time on our custom cares, we get ourselves up to 50 or 60 programs. And then we're like, wow, why are all these on here? So then we'll pair them down and we'll go back down to 25 and then people build. And we love the precision care. And we started out with custom cares way back when, and we were actually hooking them up upside down after our first core course, we missed some details there, but we still saw people getting better. And I think we see more people getting better now that we have them hooked up. But okay, so we love writing our own programs. We love the soft tissue programs as well. I think more often with tendonitis and tendinopathies and those kind of things, we're using some of our other modalities. Not that we haven't seen success with the FSM, but some of the other ones are a little faster that we have. We'll pull those in. But when somebody's starting out in pain, there's such a finer line between what we can do that causes them to be walk out of our clinic and feel overworked and, and more pain. And so oftentimes we are starting with an FSM treatment plan, no matter what because we, even the soft tissue stuff, because it, we find that it allows our manual techniques and we're not often getting them to exercise right away, but anything we do to them, it gives us more leeway almost, calming down the tissue, calming down the nerve centers, and even the soft tissue protocols, that's when we use them a lot of times. I think that's a great, so a couple of things I want to circle back on. Oftentimes I'm getting questions. I'll get a practitioner that sends me this really long history that I like I can't even read through it because it's like super long and it's great that it's super thorough. And then the bottom part is like, where should I start? And my response is always, whether it's an acute patient or a chronic patient, if that person is coming to you in pain, you start with what's going to get them out of pain. Absolutely. Like maybe you have to treat some autoimmune stuff and maybe you're going to have to treat some scarring somewhere. And maybe you're going to have to correct a weakness because something is weak and you know, but what is going to get that patient out of pain on day one, the very first time they see you is in my opinion, always should be your primary focus because maybe you've increased their range of motion, but their pain level hasn't changed. They might not come back to you for treatment too, because all they know is I went there. I spent an hour and a half. I spent $200 and it hurts just the same. I can't believe sometimes that we, the, the manual technique, we use a neural technique. So we're not really manipulating tissue much. We're working on the muscle spindle and you see large range of motion changes fairly quickly. It takes a while to get them to hold, but I have a person, they'll be able to turn their head around like an owl after the session. I'm like, do you feel that? And they're like, no, my neck still hurts. And I'm like, but do you feel that? So you're right. Absolutely. If they're not out of pain soon, it doesn't matter what I do to them. They're not coming back. I think a small maybe percentage of the elite professional athletes will like the extra range of motion and the strength. They'll appreciate that a bit more. But I think for the average everyday person, you're right. Like you could do so many things to that person, increase their strength and range of motion. But if the pain didn't fluctuate and FSM, I'll never forget my first core. Carol said nerve pain is one of the easiest things that we treat. And I was like, everybody just hear that? Like nerve pain is so hard to treat. What do you mean? This is the easiest thing I'm going to do all day. So I think sometimes we take it for granted that maybe you don't know where to start with the patient, or maybe you are trying to go through your assessment and figure out biomechanics and, you know, what you're supposed to do with that person. 
And as you're figuring that out, you can run so many protocols to help them with their pain, whether it's 4396, taking the inflammation or the activity out of the nerve, central nervous system, central sensitization. We're doing so much work with the cord right now. Um, and every year it's changing. So I always appreciate seeing you guys every year because <laughs> there's nothing worse for me when I hear of somebody that says, oh, I've been using FSM for 15 years and they've never gone to an advanced or a core in between that 15 years. And I swear every time I talk to Carol, something changes the way that we're thinking about things. Are there any frequencies that are your favorites that will, that have been your favorites for the years that you've been practicing with it? Let's talk about our B channels. What are your favorite tissue ch- frequencies that you typically gravitate towards as a PT? Yeah. Like I said, I think a lot of times we're treating the acute phases of injury where we love microcurrent. Some of our other modalities bring a lot of blood and a lot, even some tissue trauma with some radio shockwave and those kind of things. So a lot of our tissue frequencies, especially a lot of times we're doing typically 40, which is decreased inflammation and 124, we're torn and broken. And we're cycling through those on the precision care and letting them run for long periods of time while we do the treatment. And then based on the fact that a lot of times we're treating again, FSM acutely, it's going to be nerve for sure, trying to get pain down, which I think it'd be short-sighted to to not comment that it's a huge business opportunity when you get pain down so quickly, because anytime we do it, and it's not every single time, but it happens. And it happens sometimes frequently if you're in the right week or month as a practitioner, but we always educate our client after that moment that as soon as you have an injury, call us because if we can get you in the first eight hours, if you get, we've, that's tremendous with microcurrent in the first four to eight hours. So we always take that opportunity once we've had a success, especially early. And sometimes at that first treatment to educate them that we're your guy or gal to give us a call. Anytime you get hurt at a tennis match, anytime your kid sprains an ankle. And so they come in very quickly for those. But to answer your question a little further, B-channel is a lot of times based on 124 and 40 that we're using. Ligaments, we're doing a lot of stuff with ligaments a lot of times, especially down in the SI joint. So many people have these, who see us, very nondescript, but very real and significant. They call them low back pain or they call them hip pain, but I think there's secondary nervous tissue irritation from the cotoquina and the movements. And a lot of times we're running 40 and 124 for extended periods across the S with torn and broken on the ligament. So 100, definitely 396 in the nerve. If we're up in the shoulder for a first treatment or two, as we do our manual therapy up there, we're definitely treating the bursa. Um, definitely treating the tendon. I know those are pretty basic frequency numbers, but that's one of the advantages we've found with having the precision care always, since we have three of them, and then having uh, custom care, maybe running like a soft tissue acute or even a new injury, is that we can leave the precision care on 30, 40, 45 minutes on those tissues. And it just seems to give us so much more room to, to work on the patient and one, help them feel better that moment, but also not send them home with that secondary, oh, you killed me last time type of report. Again, so many talking points there. When I fell in love with FSM and the moment that I did, I was working with a ton of professional athletes and especially practicing up in Canada, we're seeing a ton of hockey players, professional hockey players play three times a week. So they don't have time to feel like they've been hit by a Mack truck the day after you have to go in and get out, treat something super deep and be really clean about it so that they feel like a million dollars the next day. Like I said, not so beat up. So just circling back to the acute state, what you said, and I do the same thing. I've learned to block out almost an hour every day for an emergency case because I want that athlete 
in that freshest possible state. A lot of my athletes have custom cares. Part of my business model now is I can pay me a retainer and I will pick up my phone at three in the morning. If you were on wow. the East coast and you want to know what should I run? I just blocked a shot because I want to answer them and I want them to put their custom care on their tissue, their traumatized tissue as fast as possible because I know the results are going to be there the next day. And even if you're practicing, if you're a PT practicing and you're saying that to your patient, even if they just come in, you don't have to do a ton of hands-on stuff, but if they can just come to your clinic and you can hook them up to a custom care right away, Absolutely. it's way less work for you down the road because they're going to recover faster. They're out of pain. They're happier. And that should always be the main focus, right? Get them out of pain as fast as possible, recovering so they can get back to whatever they're doing. Absolutely. I want to talk about what you just mentioned about the SI. I think Carol said it best. A lot of the SI dysfunction that we see, you almost have to treat it like a sprained ankle in someone's back. And that's, I see that when we talk about the torn and broken in the ligature, we talk about the shearing forces on the joint surface. To your point, we're running some of these frequencies that you mentioned, those B channel frequencies, they're basic, quote unquote, to you people who are listening on the podcast, but they're basic for a reason because these types of tissues don't ever wax or wane. You're almost always going there. And I think to your point, the bursa was one that I used to always bypass as a manual therapist. I don't treat a bursa. It's right, right. that it's there, but I'm not manipulating it, but it is definitely there and shock absorbing and getting inflamed and getting in the way and hindering things. Before I go too much further, I want to talk about some of your favorite A channel frequencies, ones that are your go-to. I'm going to say 40, obviously 124. You mentioned those two. What are all some of the other ones that you like to use in the PT clinical setting? Since our, man our manual therapy technique is working on nervous system, muscle spindles, it's called muscle activation techniques. But it, we, we find that it returns a lot of range of motion through nervous system control. So we're never really manually manipulating tissue for change. We're doing very little. And then sometimes we're getting a very large amount of range of motion to return. So it's pretty obvious to us after we treat an area of the body and we don't get range of motion return, that it's not solely a muscle spindle, gamma motor neuron type of tightness. So then I often go to 13 and the scarring of, it will get through 77 connective tissue, start working through whatever else we think is scarred down. Sometimes the nerve, honestly, the joint capsule, because if we don't see range of motion return, it might mean I have a lot more work to do, but it also tells me that it's not just a dynamic motor control issue, which generally our manual therapy technique will clean up very quickly if it is. A lot of times it is, but so we love the movement frequencies. I don't remember the restore movement frequencies off the top of my head, but we have those on the custom care based off your sports courses. So we built those into our custom care. So if we do find that, okay, we do manual therapy and it, we don't return motion, that tells me it's a structural issue. And then we work through scarring and, and some of those frequencies to, re, to return range of motion. But then we always finish with, because the nervous system is so important in our treatment process, we always finish with a restore movement type of protocol so that we're resetting some of that new range of motion that they're nervous system just has no idea how to use. I think treating someone's long-term compensatory or compensatory for American versus Canadian, when somebody compensates, especially for a long time, and especially an athlete whose nervous system just works 
more efficiently than the rest of us. I think it's such an integral part of kind of, like I said, closing the case or closing the door on somebody and even doing it throughout treatment. If you have somebody who has, let's just say frozen shoulder, and maybe they only have 45 degrees of abduction and you treat them with whatever modality you have, whether it's laser, your hands, TENS device, acupuncture, whatever. And they, an hour later, all of a sudden have 180 degrees of flexion. There is no possible way their nervous system is going to buy into the fact that this is okay. The worst thing that would happen to me as a patient or as a practitioner is when you get those patients who you've increased range of motion by 75% and you think this is the greatest day on earth, they're out of pain. You think you walk on water and then you see them three days later and they're right back to square one. Maybe their pain stays down, but their biomechanics revert right back to normal. And to me, that was what sparked the sports course. And that second day that we do that kind of wipe and load or coordinate movement patterns all over again, because like you said, you have to teach them how to walk again, how to throw again, how to safely put that cup on the cupboard because they weren't able to do it before without having a ladder help. When we talk about the sports course, I used to, or I still do, I contain it into three little compartments. That's just the way my brain works. So we have our rehabilitation, we have our recovery, and then we have our performance enhancement. We talked a ton about rehabilitation and, and that sort of thing. Let's talk a little bit about recovery. And we talk about this in the core as well, trying to maintain the patient's stable state or steady state, that homeostatic environment that's going to promote healing. What are some of your take-homes that you tell your patient? Because as wonderful as you are, they're only with you one hour a day, right? Um, talk to me about some patient education that you like to give your patients for helping them recover. In terms of FSM or just in terms of anything? Of yeah, anything. Yeah, anything in general. Yeah. So again, we go back to the dentistry model. Like we, we actually tell people we're your musculoskeletal dentist. So you see your dentist, even when your teeth don't hurt, you go and get a cleaning and a checkup because people understand that. And also when you have tooth pain, you know exactly who to call. So we're always talking to them about dentists. And if they're accountants, I talk to them about financial. It's just, but most people understand dentistry. So we tell them you, you would never go to the dentist and get a cavity filled and then just go back home, eat sweets and stop brushing and flossing your teeth. The more you brush and floss your teeth in between the dentistry visits, the better off you're going to be when you go back. So even when people are out of pain and they're healthy, we generally see them about once a month for some type of reassessment, manual therapy, adjustment to their exercise program. And hopefully they're working out in our facility at that point too, which then we can communicate. They lost a little bit of internal rotation in the shoulder. Maybe let's not do this exercise or let's add that one to their fitness program. But that brushing and flossing model, it does really help people get there because so many people, we treat a lot of people between about 40 and 75. That's our bread and butter. They, that, that group of people, it's very common to hear something like, I walk with my wife on the weekend, so I don't need to do any leg strengthening. And so we're educating them constantly on the difference between what's aerobic exercise and what's weight bearing strength training and what's the advantages. Most people, I think they lose like between 50% of their muscle mass between 30 and 80 years old. Obviously it gets accelerated at distal decades. We educate them that you can cut that in half, 25% if you're strength training regularly. We also, we're an engineering based company. We try to educate them over a long period of time because it's a lot to swallow, but uh, the increased forces that can be encountered sometimes with body weight exercises and some of those doesn't make them worse. It just makes them higher. Um, so we're educating them based on their orthopedic needs on 
potentially why a cable system might be better for their orthopedic needs. And most of the time they understand that they don't have a cable system at their home and it's easier to come see us and work with one of our staff members to appreciate those orthopedics in their session as they're brushing and flossing. But that's not okay for everybody. And we always encourage them with that brushing and flossing model, which most people really do take to heart to at least maybe start in our facility and then join the gym on their own and then let us train you to work out in that gym and then phase them out. Typically, they realize that they're just not going to do that and they phase back in. But either way, really try and push that in between and people get that. Yeah, I think your premise has always been collectively as a group to just get people moving better. We always want to get people moving. Do you educate people on diet and sleep and stress and all those factors come into play, whether you're training for the Olympics or you're just trying to heal your torn rotator cuff? Yeah, we absolutely do. We did a lot more. As you mentioned, the founder of our company had passed away in 2020, and he actually had a master's in nutrition from Ohio State. So he was the source of a lot of our nutritional counseling. And then one of his grad school classmates, Rob Wildman, was head of GNC and Bally and Mel Luca, and now he's head of Diamondized Nutrition. So together we had in-house nutrition counseling through Jerry. And then Rob Wildman ran our supplement division to help people. We sold all our supplements at cost even because most people don't trust them. So it was just a way to bolster our model. But without those, we've not found our identity because we don't have an in-house person. We're working on that. But we do talk to people about, we, we call it a set point. So we do explain it in those terms where their muscular system might have a set point at which anytime their function drops below that line might cause an injury or might cause pain. And so we want to drive their set point up so that they're always able to function up here above it. And we tell them sleep sometimes. If you're not sleeping well, it's going to drop that set point and it's going to make you more likely to have an injury. If you're not eating well, it's going to drop that set point. People can get that. Okay, I know I feel better and function better when I'm sleeping well, when I'm hydrated, when I'm working out is going to bump that line higher too. Doing the right exercises for your system is going to bump that line higher. Doing the wrong exercises, obviously, if you did a bunch of, I don't know, shoulder press with a rotator cuff injury, it's going to make you worse. So all of that, that set point idea really seems to hit home for them. We just aren't able to at this time, other than just encouraging good habits to dive in as deep as we want to on the nutrition end. But we did pair with the nutritionist in town recently, a medical dietitian slash nutritionist, because we felt like we at least needed somebody to be able to refer them to. So people seem to not always love a nutrition referral, but we still push it. I think it's important. I'm the same way. I am really early in my career. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to consult about nutrition and I wanted to do stretching and I wanted to do yoga and I wanted to do Pilates and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'm really good at manual therapy and I'm okay with exercise therapy. So I think it's important as practitioners that we realize we don't have to have all those bases covered, but have somebody that you can refer to because I think, in my opinion, someone's nutrition, someone's sleep, and someone's stress, those are the three things that I have zero control over when they walk out the door, but they are so impactful on a person's recovery. Now, if you have a professional athlete, they're checking those boxes pretty easily, but for Mm -hmm. an average everyday person, it can be very challenging. On our advanced compendum on the, and Kevin, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. David Musnick had a really great sleep talk where he gave a lot of take-home advice for good sleep hygiene, getting the room colder, going off your devices. There's a lot of tips that I think we can give our patients without having to be prescribed, being able to prescribe them drugs. It sounds like you have a lot of retention with your clients and your patients, which is great because there's nothing worse than treating somebody two or three times. And then 
they're canceling their appointments because I feel fine. I'm like, yeah. no, come yeah. back, please. Again, you say when your dentist got you out of tooth pain, did you tell them, okay, I'll be back when my tooth hurts again? No, so we really do understand. We love it and they, they smile. And I guess to your point, I forget our clinic, one of the core values in our company is to be humbly confident. And we, that's born out of the idea that, that we always say, and Jerry, the founder, always just say the most important thing to know is what you don't know. So we say that a lot. And I guess sometimes I forget that. Yeah, we don't try and do everything. We're super confident in what we do. Humble confidence. We chose that because it's not weakness or meekness. We have paired, we have a, a sports psychologist who we refer to. Again, that's not people's favorite referral. Um, I love that world, but because a lot of times when people are injured and they can't play tennis or they can't play high school football, I just had a kid coming down from Cleveland, which is two hours away with an injury. And when you take that away from them or it's taken away from them, their identity is gone a lot of times. So uh, we have a clinical psychologist we refer to. We have, we realize we, we can't do nutrition in-house anymore. So rather than just try, we just set up a relationship with somebody right away. And I think that's super missing in the world. Our world is this collaboration of great minds because there's enough business out there. If you do things well and you do things that are different, there's plenty of business and you'll get better results for your people. But that's something we really do. And actually at one of the advanced courses, gosh, We've been to so many. I would bet it was in 2018 or maybe 2017, there was a, a sleep apnea lecture that was held in the side building there in, in, in Chandler. But there was a company called WatchPat, P-A-T, and it was a home sleep apnea test that's super correlated for results and, and efficacy. And so we actually brought that in too, and we, we don't interpret it. But we can set a client up on it, especially a new client who's been in chronic pain or just wants to get fitter and give them a sleep apnea test. And it's unbelievable results. We send it to a sleep board certified sleep physician and they interpret it. But people's resting, well, sleeping heart rate going up to 150, 160 beats a minute. And it's because they're suffocating. So how in the world could they actually make neural changes to get out of chronic pain when they're in that much distress sleeping? So to your point, yeah, we've really branched out. And I, sometimes I even forget how many avenues and relationships we have set up. We're so proud of what we do and we think we do it better than I'll put anyone in quotes, but there's so much we know we can't do and we just rely on other people to do it for us. I remember Jerry saying, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. But I think about that all the time and to back to your point, being humbly confident, I think we get lost, especially as FSM practitioners because we're given these massive laminates with all these frequencies. And just because we have a frequency for something doesn't mean A, we get to use it or B, need to know where, what that tissue type is doing. Did I lose Andrew again? He looks frozen to me. I'm going to take this moment though, to pause if anybody in our group that's here live has any questions for Andrew on a PT level, go ahead and write that in the Q&A or the chat and I'll get to it. I'm going to keep talking though, in the meantime, until Andrew comes back, I have a super interesting story to share, but I'm going to go back now that you're with us again. We had a Dr. Jennifer Sosnowski on with us last week. She was my guest. She's a functional medicine doctor in Scottsdale. And she was talking about the sleep apnea company that you were talking about, because it's one of the things that she feels is the most important when she's trying to help her really chronically sick. And she's doing a ton with mold and Lyme and brain dysfunction is we have to get these people sleeping. I know for myself, one of the reasons a lot of athletes reach out to me and has nothing to do with injury or sports performance, I'll get a call saying, Hey, one of my buddies has those little weird machines that helps them sleep at night. Can I get one too? And I'm like, at first I used to get really irritated. I'm like, I'm so much more than like a computer programmer. That's going to put you to sleep. 
But I'm like, no, this is a great start because if you're already seeing the value in sleeping, then we can incorporate FSM into injury and sports performance and all that other stuff much easier. So my story, before I forget to say it, is I have been fascinated with 475 on the B channel, which is nerve sheath. When I went to my very first advance, I was like, nerve sheath? We have to use this on everything because we, I used nerve like yourself doing muscle activation techniques or in the college that I was based on, we call those intrinsic techniques. So we had our extrinsic mm-hmm. techniques where our manual therapy and our intrinsic techniques were stretch incorporating the GTO stretch reflex joint kinesthetic receptors to help intrinsically reset the muscle. I love that. Yeah. So when I heard of a frequency for nerve sheath, I'm like, this is going to be my guy. I'm going to use it just like I do with nerve. I tried 40 with it. I tried 13 with it. Anything I could think of with 475, nothing. And then we had Dave Burt, Dr. David Burke on a couple of times. He mentioned how he uses 18 a ton and 18 is bleeding or hemorrhaging. First used to just use it in the presence of a bruise or an acute, super acute condition. And then I'll be completely honest. I really didn't think about 18 very much because I don't know. I was just so torn and broken, scar tissue, inflammatory minded that I forgot Mm -hmm. about it. And he mentioned something a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to butcher how he said it, but it was along the lines of if a tissue once bled, 18 could still be indicated. And I was like, oh, okay. So many things, micro bleed, macro bleed, you name it. So I tried using 18 on a patient this week with 77 connective tissue with the periosteum, with the nerve. It was unbelievable how I used that first and removed the memory of the bleed. I don't know, however you want to phrase it, removed that component. I went back and I used 13 and it was like butter. It was unbelievable. So then I tried it on the nerve sheath and I got a little more smush. We got a little bit more smoother contraction, but the big kicker for me was using it with 81 and 49. So increasing the secretions and the vitality to the nerve sheath. And when I think about that, I get really excited. So I've been integrating that. That's been my newfound love. I'm going to get to a question really quick before we go any further. Manette is asking you, sans neuro condition, any frequencies you use to assist or help in strengthening? Yeah, we, we have all our custom cares because we have so many programs and we even have the sports fanny packs programmed for the movement protocols in the gym. And like I said, we really copied, rebuilt them out of Kim's sports course. And so much so that I don't even remember all the the frequencies (laughs) in there. I just run them, but it's really common in our gym to see people exercising with those devices on. We we don't do a whole lot of very low level and potentially maybe we should do very low level movements with them on. So we're just so busy and trying to accomplish so much oftentimes that we're running through a lot of our cable programs. We have people in free motion cables for strengthening. So they're standing doing things like a, maybe like a mid row. And because that cable is now pouring, pulling in a horizontal fashion, instead of bending over with a dumbbell, we have the movement protocols running either from their neck to their low back or back to the feet. And so that cable in that mid row is trying to pull their whole body forward, including tipping them over their toes and pulling their feet off the ground. So we're training the kinesthetic pathways of 
the non-half that has the injury just statically. So that's our low level. Forces are still high, but low level. While we do maybe more active movement up the chain or down the chain, because we're probably not going to really heavily exercise the injured tissue or the just freshly recovered tissue. But that's what we're doing. But we really just built those all up of Kim's course. I wish I could say that I knew what they all were, but my memory is not that good. That, hey, that's okay. And that's why you have a custom care because it can do that for you. So Manette, I'm going to touch on that a little bit. So for strengthening, and as because Manette has come to my sports course, there's so many components to what are we strengthening? Do Are we just trying to increase the secretions or increase those motor unit, units that have turned off? Is it more of a brain injury? Is it a central nervous system idea that we have that that old injury shouldn't get impulses because it's injured or it's torn and it shouldn't work? So strengthening is more than just hypertrophy. Sometimes it's coordinating the movement. Sometimes it's just getting more motor units to feed that area all the time. So I think it's a little complex in cases like what frequencies to use just for that. I think it really depends on why was that muscle weak in the first place? So I think we sometimes have to go way back to something really as simple as the core. If a nerve is scarred, There is no way your nervous system is going to allow you to move that arm and traction and split that nerve. That in turn will create a weakness to the area. So that's a bit of a long-winded reply. Sorry about that. Second question, what is your opinion on a bone spur on how a bone spur is generated over time? I have heard from a tight muscle creating pull on the tendon, which stresses the bone and from Mayo from osteoarthritis damaging the cartilage. Oh, I have a few things to say, but I'll let you go first with that one. Yeah. So again, our company is founded by a biomechanical engineer. So a PhD in biomechanical engineering. So we're heavily trained. I'm not an engineer, just studied under him for 10 years, weekly, about an hour to two hours of equations a week. What we find when we do those equations, and nobody needs to know the equations, I guess, but the human body has created a huge mechanical disadvantage force-wise for a mechanical advantage range of motion wise. So all of our muscles attach very close to the, the axis rotations and the joint centimeters to an inch or so away. And it'd be like opening every single door with a door handle right next to the hinge. If you can imagine, you'd have to pull very hard and push very hard. Instead, we put door handles away from the hinge. So it's nice and easy, but our muscles attach close to the hinge. So a lot of times, a lot of times the bone spur, although osteoarthritis might be a different example, it's going to be created through potentially effective or altered muscle action because those muscles are pulling with hundreds to thousands of pounds of force for even very simple movement. So when someone has a bone spur, I'm usually asking myself, one, why is this there? And I'm never going to know the exact answer, but it just, I'm asking myself, okay, what deficits can I change up and down this chain to, to, to stop this altered pull, this mechanical dysfunction first? And then I'm going to treat the symptom second, which is the real reason they're there anyways. So in their mind, I used to treat that first, but really looking at mechanical disadvantage, mechanical compensation right away in bone spurs. So we talked about bone spurs a few podcasts ago, I want to say when Carol was here and yeah, going back to that engineering levers, right? It's Wolf's law. It's that tension that's pulling on that musculotendinous junction, pulling further into the periosteum, it's pulling and the body's going to repair it and throws down a bunch of osteophytes instead of loosening the muscle. And that would have just made way more sense, but it doesn't. So I'm not sure about osteoarthritis damaging the cartilage. That definitely does happen. But a lot of times, even if that is the case, you still have to treat 
the soft tissue in order to help that heal and help the compensation, help lengthen it. It's going to shorten to protect it. In a couple weeks, I have a side podcast that I do, FSM Sports Game Changers. It is now up on wherever you're listening to your podcasts. I have John Paul Catanzaro as my guest, who was the founder of meth instead of using rice. So in acute injuries, a lot of us, especially those of us who have been doing this more than 20 years, we were brainwashed into thinking we had to use rest, ice, compression, elevation in an acute setting. And all this really cool new research, a lot of it coming out of Canada, is showing how heat is really important. So we want to do math, movement, elevation, traction, and heat. And that can be very helpful in those arthritic changes, bone spur changes, where we want to feed the area. We don't want to blast it, but we want to promote circulation. And I think a lot of times we're thinking about inflammation is such a bad thing. We need acute inflammation. We need that army to come in and say, I'm going to come and clean up all those bits and pieces. And then I promise I'll leave. And then we can use modalities like FSM using that meth acronym, movement, elevation, traction, and heat to help vacate when the inflammation does get out of control. So going back to the bone spur, whether or not it's the tight muscle causing the bone spur or the bone spur happened and then caused the tight muscle. I'm not sure that it really matters to your point. Like we're going to treat both. We're going to get the person out of pain in that case. I don't know if it's really a chicken or an egg type of deal. Another question here. Oh, can there be an emotional component to a bone spur? Ooh, Leaf always asks the perplexing questions. So we talked about the emotional frequencies the other day too, where I didn't use them for years because that just seemed a little too woo-woo for me. What about you? Do you use emotional frequencies? I use them every year from about March till, I don't know, June. And then right I Right after the advanced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I forget about them again until the next year. And I have nothing bad to say about them. I have seen some stuff on the table where I'm like, wow, this person actually did fall asleep. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure it's the frequency, but I don't see why it couldn't be. I think I just move too fast sometimes. And I think there's a lot of potential for them would be great. I just, I, I need to get into them more. I agree. Leaf, if you want to add what you might be thinking about there with an emotional component to a bone spur, I'd love to hear it. I know a lot of people when they have a bone spur, I had patients both with them in their heels, like a plantar fasciitis setting and in their elbow, it was a fear component that I really needed to utilize because even though I was treating the bone spur, even though I was treating the tight muscle and the pliability increased and the flexibility increased and the strength increased in order to bridge that gap going from pain and restricted range of motion to healthy pain-free movement, they were afraid right away when I was treating the muscle and I'm like, okay, so now we're going to check the range in your elbow. And right away before they even got into full extension said, I can't, it's going to hurt. So when I hear that, I don't really think of the emotional component, but we're using 40 and 89, which is my afraid to move it protocol. And that's been the new change with the sports course is that is the prequel to the wipe and load, because I think a lot of people are afraid to move it or afraid to take something into that end range because it did hurt and they're not convinced that it's not going to hurt anymore. So again, going back to that, how do you increase someone's strength? I think 40 and 89 could be a really interesting prequel to any kind of strength building so that when a patient doesn't have fear of movement, 
when they can go into a movement with like total confidence and neutrality, I think that can be, be very helpful, especially in the case of balance training. And that's been my, I loved it in college and I've really been sparked by doing a lot more balance training. Again, trying to get the GTOs, the joint kinesthetic receptors, everything on board after we treat them with the soft tissue. So Leaf wrote in here, I know a fellow whose tailbone spur dissolved after he sorted out issues with his semi-estranged father. Whoa, see, that is, I totally believe it. There is actually a very cool book I am going to mention on the next podcast that talks about an emotional component with a body part through Oh, I don't know how it's morphed together, but somebody at the advance recommended it. And sometimes you can look up psoas and the emotion that goes with psoas. It's been very helpful for me when I am like about to throw my custom care out the window because nothing's working. And I'm thinking maybe there's an emotional component, but what is it? So I go back to that. No, Louise, I don't mean 970 on A and 40 and 89 on B. 40 on channel A and 89 on channel B is the afraid to move it quite the activity in the midbrain that has the memory of another question that came in. I just recently tried 970. So the emotional component with 191. So ligament and tendon with a client almost by accident. And we both got super dwarfed. Yeah, for sure. Again, going back to the core, we talk about throwing the emotional component into the affected tissue. Can't hurt might help. So if you don't know what the emotional component is, maybe just 970, which is that super kind of general emotional component on channel A and whatever tissue that is. So yes, that book does sound so fascinating. I will bring it. I'm going to set an alarm. So I will mention it next week when we are on. Anything else that I need to talk about really quickly? You make me laugh throwing out your FSM machines. No, but it's super true because if anybody knows me, I'm like highly competitive and I get competitive with myself. And I think that's the hardest thing. And that was going to be my next question for you. Do you have any advice for the young PTs out there that are, I guess, nervous about taking on something like FSM? We, It's not clear cut. I say this all the time in the sports course. This isn't like a kinesio taping weekend where you come in on a Saturday morning and you leave on a Sunday night and you're right. going to be able to tape and treat absolutely everything. FSM isn't like that. What's some advice you can give for the PT-minded folks out there? Yeah, I think especially because we're uh, a profession likes to stay in this nice little box, which FSM doesn't really have walls. But I, I had a PT uh, probably in the last six months call me. I think he was in Arizona, actually, and he said, does this work? You really want to know, does this work? I don't remember what I said exactly, but I want to know, does it work for what? And I think especially after you go to a course, you come out and you like want to find like the trauma from the clips after a gallbladder surgery 30 years ago. <laughs> if those happen, I think my advice would be pick something that you want to treat better in, in your current practice. For us, it was disc and nerve. We liked, we could get results, but not as good as the other things we could do. So we set out, okay, can we create a solution to this issue in our clinic that provides a better result than we're getting now and just stay in that on that track and when you learn to clean that up and you take another course and another course then venture from there and don't try and save the world with your fsm device in one frequency at a time because it's too much and too overwhelming and you're going to get no results sometimes you're going to get bad results that's 
you know, probably not from the FSM. It's from the other 10 things you did to them. And if you're all over the place and trying to go too big, you're going to destroy your confidence. And that's one thing, whether you're a surgeon or you're a PT or you're an auto mechanic, if you don't have the confidence in what you're doing, it's really hard to wake up in the morning and want to, want to explore. So pick one thing at a time. And when you figure out how to treat that, then branch out and start treating something else and do the same. That's great advice. I pick quotes for every episode and without prompting, like this is not scripted folks. Like we are totally live <laughs> and organic here. I want to just read you what I prepared for today. Cause it really blends in. It's from Carl Rogers, who's a psychotherapist and I love his work. I I have a little love affair with psychology. So it's long. I'm just going to read it though, because I think it's going to resonate. No pun intended with everybody. He says in my early professional years, I was asking the question, how can I treat or cure or change this person? Now I would phrase the question in this way. How can I provide a relationship, which this person may use for his or her own personal growth? And I love that because I think as a new professional, yeah, we're so like, I have to fix this. I have to do this and this range of motion and this pain. And then as you've been practicing for a while, you are less focused on, I have to do this to this person. And it is that relationship. Like you're saying, you, you guys have so much retention at your practice because it's that relationship. People know this is movement is for life. And we all need help to get that moving in the right direction. Couple last announcements before we go for today. The new sports course 2023 schedule is up and posted. We are taking registration. So I will be at the 2023 advanced in February in Phoenix. There'll be a two day sports course. And then the new sports advanced course that follows. You have to take the sports course before you take the sports advanced course people. And then we're going to be in Kona in August, 2023. And Sydney, Australia in October, we're going big for 2023. So save up your pennies, come join me in all these places. It's going to be tons of fun. Registration is going to be only on the FSM sports webpage, which is fsmsports365.com. Andrew, thank you so much for coming. This was so much fun. We're going to have you on again because there's going to be a ton of questions popping up. If people want to find you or a little bit more about what you do, your website is fitness.com. Columbusfitness.com. Perfect. Andrew Fawcett, thank you so much. Absolutely. Always great to see you, Kim. Thank you. Bye, everybody. See you next week. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.